0: Scripture reading this afternoon is from Daniel chapter 9, especially verses 1 to 19, page 886 in your pew Bibles, which we read in connection with Lord's Day 51 of the Heidelberg Catechism on the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer. from this chapter, along with Ezra 9 and uh, Nehemiah 9, give us three model prayers of confession that show us how it is that we confess our sins before God, and so I would encourage you to be familiar with these nines of Scripture. We'll look now at one of them, Daniel chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. The first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by the son of who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth And ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame. As at this day, to the men of Judah the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away in all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy And forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. The curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven, there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear, open your eyes and see our desolations in the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear, O Lord, Forgive, O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O oh my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. And I did um, not planned on reading this, but just beneath that in verses 20 to 23, as Daniel is praying and confessing these sins, it says the... Um, Angel Gabriel appears and, and speaks to him. And we, we read these words, especially in verses 24 through 27, just after Daniel has prayed this. Or Gabriel says, therefore, consider the, the word and understand the vision. Starting at verse 24, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and to build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and moats, But in a troubled time, that after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. The people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city of the sanctuary, its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war, desolations are decreed, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Um, that's one of the, the most complex uh, passages in the prophets, but I'll just say this. It's in response to this prayer of confession that the angel Gabriel comes and speaks of, of a righteous one who, who in the far-off future, an anointed one, who will be cut off for the sins Of his people, he will bring in everlasting righteousness, he will atone for iniquity, put an end to sin, finish the transgression of his people, and he will make a strong covenant with his people. Um, Of course, speaks of our Lord Jesus. We'll say just a bit more about those um, ending verses in the sermon, but for now, I invite you to uh, turn to page 895 in the back of your uh, Trinity Psalter hymnal where we'll read Lord's Day 51 responsively. Question answer 126 asks, what does the fifth petition mean? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors means because of Christ's blood, do not impute to us poor sinners that we are any of the transgressions we do, or the evil that constantly clings to us. Forgive us just as we are fully determined as evidence of your grace in us wholeheartedly to forgive our neighbors. And if you'd like to follow along, I'll read also on page 928, um, chapter 15 of the Westminster Confession on repentance unto life, several paragraphs that I think are instructive for us as we think about the confession of sin. So I'll read them for you. It says, Repentance unto life is an evangelical grace. The doctrine whereof is to be preached by every minister of the gospel as well as that of faith in Christ. By it, a sinner out of the sight and sense not only of the danger but also of the filthiness and odiousness of his sins as contrary to the holy nature and righteous law of God. That upon the apprehension of his mercy in Christ, is such as are penitent, so grieves for and hates his sin as to turn from them all unto God, purposing and endeavoring to walk with him in all the ways of his commandments. the repentance be not to be rested in as any satisfaction for sin or any cause of the pardon thereof, which is the act of God's free grace in Christ. Yet, it is of such necessity to all sinners that none may expect pardon without it. As there is no sin so small, but it deserves damnation, so there is no sin so great that it can bring damnation upon those who truly repent." Men ought not to content themselves with a general repentance, but it is every man's duty to endeavor to repent of his particular sins particularly. As every man is bound to make private confession of his sins to God, praying for the pardon thereof upon which, and the forsaking of them, he shall find mercy. So he that scandalizeth his brother or the church of Christ ought to be willing by a private or public confession and sorrow for his sin to declare his repentance to those that are offended who are therefore to be reconciled to him and in love to receive him. Of course we read those in connection with Daniel 9, our main passage where Daniel models for us the heart of of both of those theological statements acknowledging the filthiness of our sin, and yet also the greatness of God's mercy. Daniel chapter 9, like Ezra and Nehemiah 9, is a model prayer of confession. I'm out of this sermon, um, Dare to Pray Like Daniel, kind of, of riffing on the, the dare to be a Daniel approach to teaching this book. I don't find that especially helpful. Um, the, the point of Daniel's story is not just to, to teach us to be brave like him, But it's part of God's unfolding plan of redemption. It's teaching us, as we saw at the end of Daniel 9, about the hope of the gospel. Yet having said that, there is a very real sense in which this prayer and and the prayers that we read in those other nines of of Ezra and Nehemiah, that, that these prayers are given so that we would pray like these men. They are model prayers prayed by the Spirit of Christ in them to teach us to pray. In fact, it's interesting as you read throughout Daniel's prayer, he acknowledges that, that the rest of, of the people in Israel have apparently, even um, after th- this, this uh, exile to Babylon, they've apparently not learned their lesson. They have not yet been brought to a place of repentance. And so it seems that God records this prayer in such detail to, to move them by it, to lead the rest of God's exiled people to learn how God would have them to confess their sins and plead with him for mercy. God records the prayer of Daniel in such precise detail because God's people then and God's people now need to be taught to pray. You and I need to be taught, we need to be instructed in how to confess our sins before God. That's why we have six or seven penitential psalms in the Psalter. It's why we have these nines of Ezra, Nehemiah, and Daniel. It's why we have Lord's Day 51 before us this afternoon. Because we need to be taught to pray, forgive us our debts. And so we'll um, look at this prayer in a moment and how it teaches us to confess our sins and plead for mercy. But before we look at the body of the prayer itself, I think it's worth noting the context in verses 1 to 3 where Daniel is praying this prayer notice in response to what he's just read in his study of the book of Jeremiah the prophet about how their captivity in Babylon would last some 70 years. Daniel reads this, does a little bit of math, and recognizes this time is is drawing near to its end. And so what does he do but pray? Before we get into the prayer itself, I think one very practical lesson that we see again is is this interplay between Bible reading and and prayer. Just like we saw in the prayers of Zechariah and Mary in in Luke's gospel, Daniel is letting the word inform his prayer. Just like we we, we are doing as we pray through the Psalter, we're letting the word inform our prayer. You, You see that same thing here in Daniel. You could say he's letting the Bible become his prayer book. He reads and now responds, not just receiving the the promises of of God's word and then then sitting on his hands, but, but taking hold of them through prayer. And this, I think, should instruct us that when we come across the promises of God in his word, that we should likewise plead those promises in prayer or when we come across his commands, which we have failed to keep. We should let those commands become for us a a call to confession and and respond in prayer, perhaps even using one of these prayers, like, like Daniel 9 or Ezra 9, to confess our sins. Even the circumstances of Daniel's prayer teach us to pray the Bible. But as he prays it now, in the rest of this chapter... See, two main aspects of his prayer. We see in verses um, 5 to 15, his confession of sin. And we also see in the section after that, his plea for mercy. First, his confession of sin, which John Calvin says comes first. Because whenever we ask for pardon, the testimony of repentance ought to precede our request. That's what we read in the Westminster Confession. It is um, uh, repentance, confessing our sin. It is of such necessity that none may expect pardon without it. We need to actually confess our sins before we demand mercy. And that's what Daniel teaches us even in the order of his prayer where after addressing God in verse 4 as the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love. You, you could say that's, that's sort of the the. Uh, First petition aspect of his prayer, he's hallowing God's name, or he's, he's adoring him as he, he comes in in verse 4. But then, right after that, starting in verse 5, he, he gets right to it in terms of, of the confession of sin and says, Lord, we have sinned and done wrong. We have acted wickedly and rebelled. We have turned aside from your commandments. And your rules. Notice in one verse, that's five different ways of calling sin sin. Much like David in in Psalm 51, he doesn't beat around the bush saying, Oh, mistakes were made. Lord, we've erred slightly. But he says, We have missed the mark entirely, we've sinned we've done wrong, we've acted wickedly, we've rebelled, we've turned aside from your commandments. He uses all the different vocabulary to speak of their sin. In verses 5 and then verses 7 through 9, he speaks of they have disobeyed God's known commands, the commandments and rules from which they have, have turned aside, the, the treachery that they've committed at the end of verse 7, God's merciful and forgiving nature against which they have rebelled In verse 9, I think the sense that you get from reading these these 10 verses about the filthiness of their sin is much like what we read from the Westminster Confession. Daniel has a sense not only of the danger but also of the filthiness and odiousness of their sins as contrary to holy nature and the righteous laws of God as we saw in Psalm 119, sort of go together because God has, has created nature. He's, he's founded the world in such a way where these commands that he has given are, are woven into the very fabric of what it means to be human in his world. So Daniel recognizes the filthiness and the odiousness of their sins as contrary to holy nature. It is uh, uh, going against the righteous laws of God. There is a, a sense of hatred, of, of being appalled at their sin of of grieving over it. This is precisely what chapter 15 of the Westminster Confession is is speaking about, our Lord's Day 33, to, to, to be genuinely sorry for sin and more and more to hate it and run away from it. That's what we're called to do. Could you spend 10 full verses like Daniel here lamenting the filthiness Of your sin. Do you ever do that? This is this is not just a blanket general forgive us our sins, the very end of his prayer, and then move on. But Daniel is genuinely grieved over their sin, which he names specifically. Again, we, we read in the confession, men ought not to con- content themselves with a general repentance, but it's every man's duty to repent of his particular sins particularly. As a. a. Hodge said, no man has any right to presume that he hates sin in general unless he practically hates every sin in particular. says no man has any right to presume that he is sorry for his own sins in general unless he is conscious of renouncing and grieving over each particular sin into which he falls. Making the point that we must not rush through this fifth petition. But there is a world of difference between confessing that you are a sinner in general and confessing your specific sins. Spurgeon said we we often shelter ourselves under the general term sinner, not to make confession, but to escape it. This is true um, also as we confess our sins one to another. There is a, a world of difference between me saying I've, I've made some mistakes or I might have, have sinned in our interactions with each other and actually naming those sins. There's a big difference between, between saying, well, well everyone's a, a sinner, we all make mistakes, and actually grieving over those sins that you've committed. This is true vertically in terms of our relationship with God, and it's, it's true horizontally in our relationship with each other. Daniel models for us here a sense of the filthiness and odiousness of our sins, which he repents of specifically as we must too. He names In verse 6, how they have not listened to the prophets. How they've spurned the word of God that's been preached to them. He speaks of their treachery or their covenant breaking. In verse 7, how they've been faithless. He speaks in verse 8 of the shame that rightfully belongs to them. In verse 10, how all of, of their rebellion was against the known will of God, which he had set before them by the prophets. Daniel doesn't make excuses, but verse 11, the judgment they've received is just because they have refused to heed God's voice. Notice he's not lashing out at others because of the consequences of his sin, but he's owning it. Teaching them, verse 13, in light of those consequences to entreat the favor of the Lord, affirming again in verse 14 that God is righteous, and verse 15 that they have done wickedly all throughout this confession is a refusal to minimize. Refusal to minimize their sin, a sense of its filthiness and a genuine grief over it. A refusal to distance himself from it, but a specific naming of the ways that they have sinned against God. This, I would suggest, is the kind of godly grief that Second Corinthians 7 speaks of, not worldly grief. And Daniel records this prayer for us as a model so that these same features of his prayer would be features of ours. A conscientious confession of sin. Only after which he is able to move in verse 16 to a plea for mercy. Again, as Calvin said, the testimony of repentance must precede this request for mercy. And so now Daniel is ready as he prays on behalf of God's people to plead for God's mercy. a Mercy that's already in view. Verse 4 in his address to God. There he speaks of how how God is the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and, and steadfast love. That word for steadfast love is the Hebrew word hesed. That word we see so often, especially in the Psalms, it has the idea of of when the the one from whom I have a right to expect nothing gives to me everything. Verse 9, when when he says, to us belongs shame, even though Daniel at this point of the prayer is still in, in this confession portion of his prayer, he says, but to you, O God, belong Mercy. And forgiveness, there are these these glimmerings of grace that cannot help but to shine through in the midst of his lamenting the filthiness of their sin. So as the confession says, repentance is born out of a sight of the odiousness of sin, but also an apprehension of God's mercy in Christ. And an understanding that as great as their sin is, there is no sin so great that it can bring damnation upon those who truly repent. Confession, like Daniel's prayer, has an eye on both the greatness of our sin, but also the grace of God in Christ. Same grace of which we heard this morning in Luke chapter 4 which now becomes the focus in verses 16 through 19 of Daniel's prayer where he says, Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your holy city, Jerusalem, because of all of our sins, the iniquities of our fathers. So he's doing, he's appealing to God's righteous character. It says, Lord, according to all of your righteous acts, according to all of, of the righteous deeds that we have seen of you and heard of you in the past, now turn away your wrath. Listen to the prayer of your servant and my pleas for mercy. And make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. He's speaking of the temple that's been destroyed, is now in ruins, and saying, Lord, make your face shine upon it once again. Remember, God has, has, in essence, said in the book of Jeremiah that he will do that. But here Daniel is pleading God's promises Lord, let your face shine upon us, your smile and not your frown. Incline your ear and hear, open your eyes and see. We, for we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but he says, because of your great mercy. This is what Lord's Day 51 is getting at when it says those four beautiful words because of Christ's blood. Not because of our righteousness. Not because we deserve to be forgiven. Not because there's anything that we've done to, to earn it. Not because of anything in us, poor sinners that we are with the evil that constantly clings to us. But our prayer for pardon appeals to the mercy and righteousness of God in Christ. As we'll sing just after the sermon, Jesus, thy blood and righteousness, my beauty are my glorious dress. Or elsewhere, rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. We're appealing to the mercy of God in Christ, the the wrath of God that was poured out on him so that our sins might not be imputed to us and, and the wrath of which verse 16 speaks might be removed from us. That's the gospel hope to which Daniel here directs us. The Lord's Day 51 is teaching us to dare to pray like Daniel, trusting that as we confess our sins, he will be faithful and just to forgive us our sins because of Christ's blood, which shows God to be both just and the justifier, both righteous and Merciful. Daniel is praying with that in mind, looking ahead to the mercy that God will show because of Christ, the one who, who, as we read, will put an end to sin and atone for iniquity, will make a covenant by his blood as, as Christ will be that anointed one who will be cut off. The rest of Daniel 9 goes on in response to Daniel's prayer to speak of the righteous act of God's mercy that makes it possible for God to answer this prayer. Because of Christ's blood, because of this righteous one who will be cut off for us, because of that, he does not impute to us, poor sinners that we are, any of the transgressions or the the, the evil that constantly clings to us, but Christ puts an end to sin and transgression. As we heard this morning from Luke 4, he pays our debt that ours might be forgiven. He bears our judgment so that ours might be lifted. He bears our sin that we might know God's mercy. That's what Christ wants to teach us in this fifth petition about the sins we must confess and about the mercy that our gracious God is waiting to pour out. The fifth petition is about the mercy of God in Christ to which Daniel appeals by faith. There's one other thing about Daniel's plea for mercy. He appeals to God's righteousness and God's Hesed covenant love. He appeals to God's righteous acts in the past and his merciful heart. But, but notice one other thing that Daniel makes sort of central in, in the logic of his plea for mercy. That's the glory of God's name. Verse 17, he says, For your own sake, O Lord, show mercy. Verse 19, again, For your own sake, O God, do not delay. He even speaks throughout of your holy city or your people who, who were called by your name. As he's asking God to show, them, to, to show them mercy, he's reminding him these are your people. These are the ones to whom you have attached your name. All throughout is, is, is this idea that he wants God to be glorified. The logic of his plea for mercy rests on the glory of God that he desires. And, and so can you see how this fifth petition prayer ultimately flows from the first petition. He wants God to forgive their sins so that God's holy name would be hallowed. Daniel here teaches us that that to truly pray the fifth petition and confess our sins is to pray them in the context of, of that first umbrella petition from which every other petition flows, that God would be glorified. To the giving of our daily bread, the coming of his kingdom, the doing of his will, the forgiveness of our sins. We do not pray this prayer, we do not pray this petition for our own sake, but ultimately for the glory of his name. And again, that that's the that's the, the ultimate difference between the godly and worldly sorrow over sin that 2 Corinthians chapter 7 speaks of. That, I, I would suggest to you, is why many could not pray verses 5 through 15 with the kind of intensity that Daniel does because many content themselves with a general haphazard confession of sins because we are not zealous for God's honor, the hallowing of his name. And so Daniel teaches us to let that first petition zeal drive our fifth petition pleas for mercy. For God's own sake and because of his city and his people who are called by his name. Daniel, in this fifth petition prayer, teaches us to confess our sins and to plead for mercy for the glory of God's name. We see here a confession of sin. We see a plea for mercy. And then not in this prayer per se, but in the fifth petition to which it belongs... Christ also teaches us that this confession of sin and plea for mercy should also result in in a commitment to mercy. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. As evidence of your grace in us, help us to be fully determined wholeheartedly to forgive our neighbors. That's what our our catechism says in Lord's Day 51, reminding us that as objects of the mercy for which Daniel chapter 9 prays, we must likewise be those who show mercy. God in Daniel chapter 9 shows mercy to those who do not deserve it. And so we too, as objects of God's mercy, must become agents of God's mercy. We too, as a forgiven people, must forgive. And Christ actually says in Matthew chapter 6 that if we don't, then that reveals that that we do not know God's mercy. And and so the last thing that I would point you to from Daniel chapter 9 is that those who would pray this prayer... From Those who would confess their sins and, and plead with God for mercy for his name's sake must also be willing to extend mercy to those who confess their sins to you. An unwillingness to show mercy is not consistent with the mercy for which the fifth petition pleads. And so our catechism, the Westminster Confession, and Christ himself who teaches us to pray reminds us that the prayer for the forgiveness of sins must be prayed in the context of a forgiving disposition toward those who have sinned against us. Can you say that of yourself this afternoon, that the mercy of God in Christ for which we plead in this prayer has so made its way into your heart that you are willing to be reconciled to those who have sinned against you and in love To receive them. That's what Christ teaches us in the fifth petition. We see in this prayer a confession of sin that senses the filthiness and odiousness of those sins that we particularly confess. We see in this prayer an apprehension of of the mercy of God in Christ that causes us to, to rise from our knees and receive God's mercy. And then covered in the blood and righteousness of Christ, we show mercy to those who, like us, do not deserve it for the sake of God's holy name. May he teach us to live out this prayer even as we seek to take its words on our lips like Daniel and let the word of God lead us to prayer. Let's do that now as we take these words from Daniel chapter 9 and respond to God in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we read here in your word of the mercy that you long to show us poor sinners that we are as we confess our sins that are grieved by them. Lord, we pray that you would help us like Daniel here to repent of our particular sins, particularly Acknowledging that we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your clear commands as we pray that to you, help us to to name specifically those commands that that we have turned aside from and the ways in which we have not listened to your prophets who preach to us your words, but the ways that we resist your call, even your call this afternoon to forgive. So Lord, as we are mindful of all of these sayings that have been reminded of them from your word here in Daniel chapter 9, we acknowledge the greatness of our sins and treachery. That we plead the merit of the blood and righteousness of Christ, asking that you would show us mercy for his name's sake. This anointed one who was cut off for us to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity. And you would do this for the glory of your holy name, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.